Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bible Breakdown Podcast. In this podcast, we will be breaking down the Bible one chapter a day. Whether you are a new believer or have been following Christ for a while, we believe that you will learn something new and fresh every single day. So thank you for joining us, and let's get into breaking down the Bible together. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Breakdown Podcast with your host, Pastor Brandon. Today, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and today's title is Being Self-Centered is Dangerous. <laughs> Being Self-Centered centered is Dangerous. I don't know about you, but I've come across people from time to time, and there's probably a thousand reasons why, but they just are very self-centered. Not just self-focused, because it, it's okay to be self-aware of what's going on, but being self-obsessed and thinking that you are the center of the universe is, not only is it not good, not only is it you know, not a, not a great way to make friends, <laughs> but we're, we're going to learn in today's text, it is downright dangerous. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But as always, if you like what we're doing here, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave us a comment and tell us if you've ever come across someone who is just absolutely self-centered. If you know them, keep their name anonymous, okay? We don't want to embarrass anybody. Also, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Always love, love, love my podcast listeners and where we all gather together as one community, the Bible Breakdown Discussion Group on Facebook. I would love to hear from you and especially let some of those devotion people who, who are so good at authoring all of those devotions, let them know how much you appreciate them because they do a great, great job every single day bringing us wonderful different looks at these chapters we're reading. I got a story for you, and that is, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was talking about this person that he knew who was very self-centered. And he said that it came back to bite him once upon a time because this guy said when he was a teenager, he always had to be first. He was actually very insecure. And because of that, he had to put himself out there to kind of convince people that he was awesome, that, this sort of thing. And he said that one day they went to this water park. And as they went to this water park, he had to go first. He had to be first at everything. He, he couldn't go second. It was just he, he said even though he was a teenager, he would pitch a fit like an eight-year-old kid. And he said that this guy was like, I have got to go off the diving board first. I have to. And he made such a fuss about it that all of his friends were like, okay, fine, go, go ahead. And what they didn't know is right before they got there, there had been a... Um, a malfunction on this diving board and it had cracked something had happened i don't know what it was but it had cracked and they were trying to you know get some out of order signs and stuff to make it out of order well this guy was so worried he wasn't going to be first and, and he just was the center of his own universe that without waiting and while looking up paying attention he goes right up to this diving board and as he's getting ready to dive off of it it broke and it, when it broke, he fell, he ended up hitting his head, he ended up breaking his arm before it was over with, and it was all because he had to be first. He had to be the center of attention, he had to, you know, he was just very self-centered, and it actually came back and it hurt him. And I don't know if you've ever known any of the stories like that, but it, it can happen when, you know, there's a thousand reasons why, but the end result is the same. And we're going to find today a guy who is completely focused on himself, this time It almost cost him his life. And let's read this and let's see what God's word would say to us today about the danger of being too self-centered in our life. Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 1 says this. Now Samuel died and all Israel gathered for his funeral and they buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. 
There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with a message to Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed with among us at Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you that this is true. So, would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name and they waited for a reply. Pause. So sheep shearing time was a time of, it was harvest time, but yet with your animals. That's where you would make a bulk of your money, and it was a big celebration time. And so what David is simply saying is, is we protected your interests while they were with us. The reason why you're not going to have a loss this year is because of us. And all we're asking you for is fair compensation for that. Not a bad thing. And he's just asking for a little bit of help. Well, watch what happens. Who is this David? This fellow David, Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard the equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we have never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection around us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for he is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. Probably because that joker would have stopped her. (laughs) Verse 20. As she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his young men coming toward her. David had just been saying, A lot of good it did for us to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive by tomorrow morning. And as we know, David can back that up, okay? He ain't no joke, right? Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know that Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young man you sent. 
Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present for you that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles and have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who would seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure, uh, secure in his treasure pouch. But the enemies, uh, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot with a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and made you the leader of Israel, don't let a blemish be on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. So in other words, she said, hey, look, David, you're awesome. Everybody knows you're awesome. Everybody knows Saul's a fool. Everybody knows you're going to be a king one day. When you become a king, don't let it be that David was awesome, except for that one time he completely slaughtered Nabal and his whole family. <laughs> don't, don't have that one like little asterisk beside your name. Let it go. Put it on me. I didn't brought you all this. You got this, David. So in other words, she's, just, she's calming him down, reminding him of the plan that God still had for him, and then saying, let cooler heads prevail. Well, listen how David replies. David replied to Abigail, verse 23, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from, under, uh, from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. I will not kill your husband. And when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, and so she didn't tell him everything that had happened and about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. And as a result, he had a stroke, <laughs> and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. And so that's, it's almost like you ever, you ever like almost been in an accident, almost been in a wreck. And they say like your life flashes before your eyes and you're like terrified. Well, that sounds like that's about what happened when he realized how close he came to just not only dying, but losing everything he had as well. He just panicked and he ended up having a stroke and then he later died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise the Lord who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. And then David sent messengers to Abigail and asked her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. And she bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave and washing his feet like one of his servants. Quickly, getting ready, she took along five of her servant girls as attendants and mounted her donkey and went with David's messengers. And so she became his wife. David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, making both of them his wives. Saul, meanwhile, had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to a man from Gilead named Pitali, a Palti, son of Laish. So 
First of all, let's talk about the weirdness that David now has three wives. So the idea behind this is, is that the culture of the time, you were allowed to have a um, multiple wife marriage. Now, the Bible doesn't condone this, and what the Bible reports, it doesn't always support. Because what you'll see in the Old Testament is it talks a lot about, in the law, about a husband and a wife being together for life. Not, not a, was it polyamorous relationship. However, this was the culture of the time. And what you're going to see is a lot of times the Bible will report things that people do and then watch how those bad decisions <laughs> turn out to fall apart and bad things happen. So once again, we say it again, what the Bible reports, it doesn't always support so even though David had multiple wives, this was not considered a good thing in the eyes of the Lord, but the culture of the time allowed them to do so, and God is just reporting what happened. But the big idea here is, is self-centeredness is dangerous. I want to encourage you with something today, and that is this. A lot of times we hear phrases like, if I don't take care of me, nobody will. Someone's got to look after number one, which is yourself. And to a certain extent, that's true. To a certain extent, it's okay to make sure that you have food, you have clothing, that you're doing okay, you're supporting your family. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem becomes when you become the sole focus of your life because everybody's going to worship something. We were made to worship. We were made to seek after something greater than, than ourselves. The problem is, is in our culture and in every culture we deal with this and every time frame we deal with this, sometimes we want to put ourselves as the number one person in our life. Well, here's the challenge. We are not that good at taking care of ourselves. The best place to live is to live with Jesus on the throne of our life and to focus our attention primarily on him. And if we don't do that, we place ourselves as our own idol and there's too much pressure. Some, some of us need to lower our expectations of man and raise our expectations of God. And that's including our expectation of ourselves to not feel like we have to have all the right answers, to not feel like we have to have our way all the time, but rather trust the Lord because it's the Lord that knows which way we're going. And that is exactly the opposite of what our culture tells us to do. But I want you to give it a try. What would it look like in your life if you purposely put God first? You prioritize what he says in your life. You might be surprised to see how he leads you and how he guides you in all things. So I want to ask you this question. When you get ready to make a decision, whose benefit are you seeking first? Are you making a decision based on how it's going to affect you? Are you going to do it how, uh, based on how it's going to affect your family? Or are you going to do it how primarily will it bring glory to the Lord? Or will it take away glory from Him? If you live that way, I guarantee you there's peace and joy there. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you for how you lead us. And thank you, God, that you are our King. And that we focus our attention on bringing glory to you. The byproduct of that is a life filled with peace and with joy. I pray today, God, that you will help us to make you the king of our life and to realize there's no better place to be than in the arms of a father in heaven who loves us the way you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, don't forget, God's word says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. God is moving in your life whether you see him or not. So focus your attention on him and watch what he can do. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow for 1 Samuel chapter 26.